Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, he walks in a mine. Why is the rum always Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's a trap! Hey guys, welcome to the Celluloid Fiends Podcast. I'm your host, Mo Long, and tonight I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host. What's up, Celluloid Fiends? I'm Gabriel Orto. If you want to go ahead and give us a like on Facebook, that would be great. You can also give us a follow at Celluloid Fiends on Twitter, and you can follow me at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. We really appreciate you listening, and we would also really appreciate if you went over to the iTunes store and left us a review. And you know what? Gabe and I have been picking most of the movies, but if you guys have anything you want us to review, let us know, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. So tonight, we are talking about Tales from the Hood. It came out in 1995 and is directed by Rusty Kundiev. I may have mispronounced that, Gabe. I can't help you with this one. Alright, usually when I mispronounce things, Gabe is the one to correct me, so I figured I'd check with him, but we'll just keep her rolling. And it stars Corbin Burnson, Rosalind Cash, Rusty himself, David Allen Greer, and Anthony Griffith. It holds a 47% critic rating and 67% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Like Creepshow, Tales from the Hood is an anthology film. And it follows teenage drug dealers Ball, Sack, and Bulldog who arrive at Sim's funeral home to purchase drugs referred to as The Stuff. From the oddball funeral... The Shit. (laughs) Oh, The Shit. From the oddball funeral parlor owner Mr. Sims, played by Clarence Williams III. Sims asks the trio to help him get the drugs and then shows him several former customers relaying each of their respective tales. So, this was a Gabe pick. Gabe, why did you pick Tales from the Hood? I'm a sucker for an anthology movie, as you can tell, because I also picked Creepshow. But I also... uh, I loved this this movie growing up, because it has deeper meanings than you think it's going to. Yeah, that... So, this was my first time watching Tales from the Hood, and it 100% featured a lot deeper topics than I expected considering that it was an anthology film and most of the anthology films that I've seen have been fun but kind of more on the surface and basically homages to a genre like Creepshow was fun but ultimately it was just mostly campy horror right so what was your first exposure to Tales from the Hood um I really, um, as you can tell by the horror horror episode, I'm really big into that. And actually, my friend Toby said that he really liked the soundtrack for this movie because it has it has like Scarface in it and has um, Spice One in the soundtrack. And I'm like, well, then I gotta see the movie. And so I rented the movie from my local bo- blockbuster. <laughs> 
aging my I'm showing my age a little bit here, and I absolutely loved the movie. R.I.P. Blockbuster. Yes. I actually kind of miss it, but I still subscribe to DVD Netflix, so I feel like I'm trying to keep the art of physical media alive a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so, like I mentioned, I was very pleasantly surprised about a lot of the grounded themes in Tales from the Hood, and especially when it started out, and it's got these drug dealers who are going to talk to this eccentric funeral parlor owner... I did not predict that each of the different segments was going to be as intelligent as it ended up being. And one thing that it actually kind of made me think about a little bit, because of how relevant each of the narratives was, is Get Out. I I think Get Out's a far better film because it's more nuanced, but what was it? So the first story dealt with police brutality and racism. The second one touched on familial abuse. And then the third story featured this racist politician that was pretty reminiscent of Donald Trump. Yes. Bit of a precursor there. And then the last segment focused on gang violence. So it's it's really interesting and also pretty disheartening just how relevant this these, film, these issues still, still are. <laughs> but here we go getting into stuff like this again. It, it, like a lot of these issues go cut pretty deep and are, and are sadly still relevant today. Absolutely. But my question about watching this, because as poignant as a lot of the underlying messages in this movie are, it's pretty it's pretty corny. Oh yeah. So my question was did Tales from the Hood set out to be as intelligent as it ended up being, or is it a smart film in spite of the camp? I think that it is a smart film in spite of the camp. I agree. I think that that Hollywood promoted and pegged this to be a campy movie. And people ended up walking away, maybe learning something. Agreed. And it definitely, it had kind of an urban vibe to it. So I think in that way, perhaps it was like a lot of hip-hop, which we're, we're both pretty big hip-hop fans, in that it was meant to kind of portray an image of what urban life was like. But I definitely don't think it was intended to be as kind of powerful as it was I think some of the horror elements detracted from that in places for me and kind of helped to I think lessen the reality of the situations especially like in the first one like when uh, all the supernatural stuff happens in the in the third act of the first story but then like the second one with the abusive dad, that one was that was like tough for me to watch. It was very. David Allen Greer plays an abusive father basically in the story, and um, the son like transfers to a new school, and the teacher finds him with bruises, 
and the kid keeps on talking about the monster hits me, the monster hits me, the monster hits me. And the monster, like, like you see it in, like, little bits, and you think it's, like, it could be, like, a real monster. But, the, but there's a point when he's talking to his teacher where he asks about his father, and he says his father's dead. But then his father comes home, and the father is the monster that has been beating him. Yeah, I, I kind of predicted that was going to happen even before I knew that the father was there. And so I guess there's that scene when the kid, like, crumples up the paper and at the kind of early on in the story, which suggests that there might be something supernatural going on. But if you removed that and a couple other small scenes, like, this could have just been about a kid who dissociates from reality and thinks that his dad's a monster. That's so true. I, that's why I think that's why that sketch specifically just felt like so haunting is that it definitely felt very real and very grounded. Whereas a lot of the others did kind of play up like the horror elements and kind of like the supernatural parts, which still made clear the message that it was talking about that was grounded in reality, but felt a little more out of this world right especially with like the little dolls yeah that was the that was the third one did you have a favorite of the stories i definitely enjoy the third one the most the one with the politician that yeah i think that one might be my favorite i also really enjoyed the first one Oh, the one with the police brutality. Yeah, I thought that one was... I thought that was pretty intelligent. I thought it sort of got a little outlandish at the end. But I thought that was a very powerful piece. Especially because that really touched on... Most of this gets it, but that one really touched on institutionalized racism. Yeah, it does. And that's like something that we're seeing a lot today, especially all the police brutality and and institutionalized racism so I think that one uh, was maybe my favorite that one in the politician sketch because it almost the police brutality one even I felt like to bring up Get Out again reminded me of at the beginning of Get Out which we've both seen when they get pulled over and the cop asks uh, for his license because he's black but not hers because she's white right and she actually had the like balls to challenge what the police officer was saying because white privilege right like but like it even people a lot of people don't know this but there is an actually an alternate ending to that movie Get Out where, and it was really dark, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really dark ending. I can't like, remember what as it you was. know, it's, a lot of people have seen the movie, and what happens at the end is that he, his friend shows up, mm-hmm. the, the the TSA agent. Yeah. But in the alternate ending, the cops show up, and they arrest him for murdering the whole family, Oof. and his friend comes and visits him in prison. 
and he wasn't upset that he was in prison because he stopped the family. Oh. See, that would have been a very interesting ending. Because that movie, in and of itself, is maybe my favorite movie that's come out in the past ten years. And Get Out's one that I have have pretty strong feelings on. I think insofar as its format, it's more of like a thriller. But I think it's doing the movie a disservice to not call it a horror movie because the themes that it's touching about, like the ingrained racism in society, are very horrific. So I think in that regard, you have to call it a horror film. It is a horror movie, most definitely. Yeah, and it, and I'm gonna tell and I'm gonna tell you this, and I've told this story on this podcast before. It's like someone I know watched Get Out, and he said he didn't like it because it didn't make him feel comfortable. And, and fucking point. And that's the kind of the kind of vibe of some of the things in Tales of the Hood gives you. This movie is not supposed to make you feel comfortable. Because nothing is right what is going on here. (laughs) So the fact that you're uncomfortable means you have some kind of moral compass. Exactly. Because I definitely felt uncomfortable throughout this. And it was less... It was less the horror parts in Tales from the Hood. And it was more what was going on in reality. Right. So do you think this could have worked without the horror do you think it could possibly because i think it almost maybe would have been more successful and what makes me think of that is the second sketch the one with monster the dad because that one at times like I, i almost forgot that the kid had any sort of like special powers and that one I think is the one that like hit me the most and felt like most memorable and so like after we watched it I was kind of reflecting back on the film and I thought it would be interesting to see what this movie would have been like without all of the horror like with that stripped away I think this was a very successful horror movie for me because the horror films that I do tend to like oftentimes are ones that touch on something that's like relatable not necessarily relatable in your own life, but something that you've like witnessed or read about. Something that's going on in the world presently. Exactly. Like, as much fun as the Jasons and the Freddies and Michael Myers are, that's more unrealistic, and it's enjoyable to watch, but it doesn't feel as relevant. Right. So... I would have liked to see what this movie could have been without the horror parts, as well as I think it would be interesting to see what this would have been like, not as an anthology film, but just as like different characters whose lives intersect in various ways. Yes, but I also feel like the wraparound, kind of like the wraparound was good in this movie. The bookends were were, were pretty good. They were fantastic. I'm glad you brought those up because. I have very strong opinions on anthology films. I haven't seen a ton, but I think in order to be a successful anthology film, you have to have bookends, and you have to have segments in between the different skits. And most do that, but there was this one indie anthology film I saw recently called XX, 
and it didn't. It was just, I think, three or four different stories that were all kind of put together with no sort of bookends, no sort of intertwining narrative outside of the films. But this tied together very well. It was fun. Clarence Williams III just totally stole the show. Unfortunately, he did not return for the sequel. I have not seen the sequel yet. Is the sequel out yet? Because I thought it was coming out in October. I thought it came out already. I'm not positive. I may be wrong. Well, we're going to fact check real quick. Because I thought I read that it was coming out in October. But... Yeah, it comes out October 2nd, 2018. Alright. You can pre-order it at Best Buy. But Rusty and Darren Scott write it. And they wrote the original, and it's directed by Darren Scott and Rusty Cundiff. So, there you have it. Do you... Have you heard much about the sequel? I have not. It kind of took me by surprise. Um, around... April... March or April, I heard that they they had shot or they were shooting at the current moment a sequel to Tales of the Hood. My first emotion was, and I put it on Facebook, is please don't fuck with my emotions. <laughs> because two things. I love Tales from the Hood. The next thing, please don't fuck up Tales of the Hood for me. Like, I, I'm, I'm praying to God that they did they did it justice. But, like, I'm always a little scared when they make sequels to movies that originally weren't going to have sequels. Also, I think it's tough to have a sequel to an anthology film. Because the anthology films just feel so standalone. Mm-hmm. And I think it could work better in other situations maybe like where there's a very well-known like horror writer behind it in this case for like a horror anthology or maybe like a very well-known sci-fi writer behind it because there's kind of like a name you can plaster across it and you can right. make it almost sort of like a universe but this does seem very random and actually I don't remember if you mentioned when we watched Tales from the Hood if there was a sequel coming out but if you did I forgot and then when I was writing up the show notes for this episode I saw on Wikipedia that there was a sequel and I was like what the fuck Tales from the Hood is getting a sequel especially like so many years after the fact exactly but I think it took years for this movie to garner the kind of attention that a sequel that would reciprocate in a sequel because let's face facts this movie is not super popular it's not I'd never heard of this until you said hey Let's watch Tales from the Hood this week. Yeah. And I was like, what? What movie is this? Is this a film? It is a film, and it was a pretty good film. I think at first I read Tales from the Crypt, and then I was like, wait, no, that's said Hood, not Crypt. No, not Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Hood. <laughs> so, is this a cult film? In my eyes, yes. Because it does have a following, especially with the soundtrack being as good as it is. And I know a lot of people that really thoroughly, 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 thoroughly enjoy this movie. Please edit that out. (laughs) 
Nah, we're keeping that. <laughs> um, so they thoroughly enjoy this movie. Yes, yes. And but it doesn't gar it doesn't garner the kind of attention that a conjuring gets. Right. No, it doesn't. So, do you think there was any sort of moment or event that helped this film gain a cult following? Um, I can't pinpoint any one moment in history that would give this film a rise. It's just the fact that things have gotten worse, not better, from the situations in the movie so maybe people are starting to relate more to the situations in the movie right so I want to get back to anthology films a little bit so we watched Creepshow mm-hmm. what are your favorite anthology films and where does this rank on your list this is number two for me what's number one Creepshow Okay. What else is on your list? Oh, number one would have to be Creepshow. Number two, Tales from the Hood. Number three, Creepshow 2. Number four, VHS. Number five would have to be All Hallows Eve. Wait, All Hallows Eve. Who directed that? I forgot who, who directed it, but the same people who did Terrifier did All Hallows Eve had the wraparound story with the clown, okay. with the clown on the cover. I never saw that. I've had actually very little exposure to anthology films, so I watched that movie XX, and then Creepshow, and Tales from the Hood, but I think those are the only three I've seen, and two of those were your picks on the podcast. So, I definitely would like to explore more. But are there any non-horror anthologies that you've seen? Or is that just a more common film in the horror genre? I think it's more of a co- common thing in the horror genre. It's not. I'm not necessarily seeing a ton of um, anthology movies that aren't horror-based. Do you, know, do you have a guess of why that is? Oh, hold on a second. Number one, I'm, I'm, I'm remaking my list. Number one, Trick or Treat. Never seen it. Um, number two, Creep Show. Number three, Tales from the Hood. Number four, um, Creep Show two. Number five, VHS. And number six, All Hallows Eve. Okay. That's top six. I never said a number. Never said you had to do top five. I'm going to do, do top three, because <laughs> I've only seen three. But I'm going to go Tales from the Hood, Creepshow, and XX. And the reason I'm going Tales from the Hood over Creepshow is just because I felt like it was more substantive. I liked Creepshow, however, it just kind of felt campy and... Like a horror wet dream. It yeah. didn't really feel like it had yeah, a, a ton but, of substance. Don't get me wrong, I thought it was enjoyable. It just didn't have any sort of like emotional pull for me. It was like a popcorn film. I understand. I understand. I like the, the style, 
There just wasn't a lot of substance. And you've never seen VHS? I've never seen VHS, and I've never seen Trick or Treat. And you've never seen All Hallows Eve? No. Or Creepshow 2? No. Alright. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I'm sorry for Moe's uh, ignorance of the anthology series movies, but uh, I'm, I promise you that in the very near future, I will rectify this. We should do Trick or Treat in October. That would be a good October film. Yes. So we'll do that. So with that, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about Tales from the Hood. All right. There's something wrong here. Bruce! Jenny, you back! Thank goodness. some old voodoo bitch could scare me out of my house? I don't care how many slaves died here. I didn't kill them. You get no reparations. No reparations! Hey guys, we're back and we're talking about Tales from the Hood. So, I really want to talk a little bit about the ending. So, the last 
of the four sketches was Hardcore Convert, and it followed Jerome Crazy K. Johns, who's a gang member and psychopath. So he ends up getting killed, and there are three killers. So you find out at the end, when you're back in the mortuary, that Crazy K's killers are the initial trio who show up to get the shit, as they say. And they'll be Stack, Ball, and Bulldog. And Sims reveals that he's actually Satan. That was a weird fucking ending. I have I have a few thoughts on that. So I, I did like the connectivity with one of the sketches, because I don't feel like most of the anthology films that I've seen in my limited anthology film watching have had any sort of connectivity between any of the narratives and then the overarching story that kind of ties them all together right. outside of those. So I liked that. And again, I thought having Stackball and Bulldog be Crazy Case killers sort of reinforced a lot of the uh, real-world problems that Tales from the Hood touches on. But then having Sims be Satan, I felt like kind of jumped the shark a little bit. I liked that twist. Okay. I liked it. Convince me. Um, it kind of sent a message on um, where you go if you kill people. Yeah, okay. And, and some people may not believe that, but it's not a good thing. And it's a general moral compass thing. Killing equals bad. Right. Not everything is a binary, but that's pretty it's pretty binary right there. Right. Killing is not good. It is bad. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a fact. And so what are your thoughts on the ending? I like the way it ended. I thought that the way it was portrayed, it was the perfect way to end it. Because there was another way it could have ended, and that would be them getting the shit and leaving, or him killing them. But I feel like the fact that they were already dead and in hell made made the whole thing make a little bit more sense. Okay, you're you're doing you're doing a pretty good job convincing me. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it. Because here's the I'm thing. It. Here's the thing. It's not every day a drug deal goes down at the funeral home. Right. And the whole situation is kind of weird. And the funeral homeowner is also kind of awkward. Right. So the fact that he is actually Lucifer... And is trying to instill fear into the boys before they actually enter the gates of hell is not a big reach for me. So, interestingly, I did look up Tales from the Hood 2 
does bring back Mr. Sims. He's played by Keith David. Yeah, I know this. Which I'm actually kind of excited about. Because I, I do love Keith David, and I think he could bring a similar quirkiness to that character as Clarence Williams III did. But the whole but the thing is, like, it's hard, it's gonna be hard to do the Mr. Sims thing again. Because right. we all know what the end game is now. We didn't know it going into it watching this our first time. Absolutely. So, I think Tales from the Hood 2 will have to do something additional to set itself apart from the original. Or basically it'll be the exact same thing. So I'm curious how this will play out. I almost think it would have worked better to still have like an Undertaker. But have it be like a different character instead of Mr. Sims. Right. Or just have some sort of different professional together. Right. I thought that was kind of weird that it was still Sims but with a different character with a different actor. Although I will say I love Keith David. I thought he was phenomenal in The Thing and They Live. I liked him in The Princess and the Frog. So I think anything that he touches is going to be magical. So I'm curious to He's a great see actor it. in his own right, and that's why I'm excited yeah. to see Tales from the Hood too. But at the same time, he's playing a character that we didn't know was the devil to the end of the movie, but now we know. Yeah. So maybe maybe the narratives themselves will continue to be relevant and be based on some things that we've seen recently on recent current events maybe that could help set it apart I don't know but I definitely agree that there will have to be something substantially different to make Tales from the Hood 2 equally as good at or better than the original which I, I think that's a tough bar to that's, get over that is a, a tough hurdle I think there's some places where it could definitely surpass the original like the original was pretty cheesy I think this could take a more serious vibe I think the the effects actually in Tales from the Hood I was pleasantly surprised with especially because there was there were some pretty bad effects that we saw in the 90s like Spawn came out what I want to say 1997 yeah and the effects in that were way worse than in Tales from the Hood and I feel like Spawn had a much larger budget Oh, I'm, I'm positive it did. As much as I love Lord of Illusions, there's this one scene in there where it looks like it was made even earlier than the 90s. It gets a little, it's a little cheesy in places. So I was pleasantly surprised at Tales from the Hood. But I still think Tales from the Hood 2, some like effects could be better. But technical aspects aside, I think narrative-wise... It will have to really differentiate itself. I'm a little nervous that they want the straight to DVD route. <laughs> little bit nervous. Well, it did premiere on July 13th at the Fantasia International Film Festival in Canada. So it did the festival route or screened at one festival and then is going straight to DVD. I I'm intrigued. It also looks like 
Spike Lee was the executive producer. So of the of the second one also? Yeah. So at least that's according to Wikipedia, so take that for what it's worth. But like I'm definitely interested. I think it, has, I think it could have potential. I really hope they keep the pra- they keep practical effects and they don't go the CGI route. Agreed. 100%. Because that was one of the great things about this movie is a lot of the effects were practical. And I think that's why the effects have actually aged so well. Is thinking back to a lot of the 90s movies that uh, I mentioned, like Spawn... That CG was pretty bad. At the time, even, I don't think it could have looked good. But now it just looks terrible. Right. And I think now, even with advances in CG, you really have to use it well. Like, I think Prometheus was a film that used CG well. Oh, yeah. Ninja Turtles, that was a very poor use of CG. And I'm talking about the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles, that iteration. I like to call it Bay Turtles. Ooh. I like to forget that it exists. I'll give it this. The second one was better. It, well, it was hard to be worse. I think we can both agree it was a bastardization of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Oh, lore. I see what you did there. You want jokes? We got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so, while we're talking about Sims being replaced, let's do a little fantasy casting. Do you think there's anyone who could have played Sims better than Clarence Williams III in Tales from the Hood? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe not Sims, but maybe an Undertaker character I would have enjoyed. Maybe I would have liked... um, Samuel L. Jackson. That's who I was going to say. I think Sam Jack would have brought a lot of pizzazz to this role. And I think he would he would have just been dropping like fuck bombs the whole time. I think he could have pulled that off very well. And then, you, you know who else I'm going to say? I think Keith David could have pulled that off pretty well at the time. And there would have been some continuity. That's true too, uh, because he was he was still pretty popular back then. Yeah, but I feel like they tried to find an older actor, right? And Keith David wasn't necessarily an older actor at that point. He was a little old, but he wasn't the like they needed Keith David now, right. not Keith David in nineteen ninety five, not young Keith. Right. Agreed. But, yeah, I think the only person I can think to replace Clarence Williams III is Sam Jack. That was, like, the immediate person that popped to mind. Because this has to be someone who is capable of just being very eccentric. Right. And playing a character that's realistically batshit. And um, Mr. Glass, the character from Unbreakable... He kind of looks like Mr. Sims, the character. That's a good point. That's a very good point. And 
there's a movie coming out called Glass. Glass? Yeah, it's called Glass. It's yeah. A, it's like a sequel to Split and Unbreakable. You know, Split, I actually thought was pretty decent. I liked that movie a lot. Yeah. It was really a return to form for M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, because he had some bad plot twists. Well, like, he had some some bad movies. Like, <laughs> I thought The Happening was awful. Like, The Last Airbender was <laughs> just awful. And I started to see a, a, a glimmer of hope. With the movie, I think he, like, wrote and produced but didn't direct a movie called Devil. I never saw it. It was about, like, a group stuck in an elevator, and one of them was the devil. I, I've seen the box art for that, but I've never watched the movie. It's a very good movie. I liked it a lot. And I saw, like, a little glimmer of hope for him with that movie. But then he came out with... The Visit, and some people like it. I personally wasn't my cup of tea. Um, but Split really nailed it home with M. Night Shyamalan. It really kind of redeemed them for the years of bad movies he gave us. <laughs> because, like, there's he has some decent movies. Like, there's The Sixth Sense. And I really like The Sixth Sense, and I really like The Village. I have not seen either of those movies. You've never seen The Sixth Sense or The Village? No, but on my obnoxiously large DVD shelf, I have The Sixth Sense somewhere, so I will watch it. You should really watch The Village, too. It's a really good movie. Uh, and Lady in the Water? I have not seen Lady in the Water. Nor have I, but at this point, I don't think I need to watch it because I don't think it will be as good as Shape of Water. That's fair. So, I think we're good there. So, getting back to Tales from the Hood. Do you think if that movie were made today... And I'm not talking about a sequel. I'm talking about if it hadn't been made in the 90s, if it were made currently, it would have featured... The same themes, different themes. What do you think its reception would have been? I think it, it, it would pretty much have the same themes. I think that a lot mm. of the, the themes in this movie, as I said, sadly, still exist today. Um, abuse in the household, police brutality, mm-hmm. um, racism in politics, and um, violent, violence in, in, in urban areas, gang violence. I agree. I think it. I do think it would have featured the same themes, but I suspect that it would have taken on kind of a more serious vibe. Right. Because there's definitely a pretty strong humorous and campy element throughout, and I think that it would have been more serious instead of silly if it came out now. So I'm actually pretty curious what the sequel will do, if it will maintain the campiness or if it will kind of take like a get out kind of route and be more thought provoking. I thought, I think it would be a little bit more thought provoking. The problem is, is that like get out 
like lightning struck with that movie. Oh yeah. And I love this country. Don't do not take it the wrong way. But a lot of people like don't like their horror with a lot of thought provoking material. Get Out was like an interesting one that where it like it, it it hit the nation at a time where it needed it the most. But usually it's movies like Saw and No Offense to Conjuring and it, it, it's not it doesn't take a lot to grasp that. And especially with the political landscape these days, I feel some people may even hate this movie because they hate the idea of what it's what it's provoking because they may not agree with it. Speaking of political and horror, I've never seen any of the Purge movies. Really? But yeah, I've never seen them. Uh, I'm going to be honest, they don't really interest me. I think from what I've been told about the plot, I could see how there might be some sort of underlying message, especially maybe in the first one, but to me it also just seems like it's very gratuitous. And the first one could almost, from the plot, be taken as like a message on society's obsession with violence but then it seems like the sequels are just kind of fueling that and fall prey to the tropes that the first one is provoking but I don't know but I'd I would be curious to hear I you talk about I wouldn't that. necessarily say that because I've seen all three and the first one I feel is like not not all three all four I think there's four now, right? I believe there are four. I will. I've seen all four, but here's the thing: it's not that the fact that it's trying to encourage the violence thing. It's now it's turning into something completely different, because what what started with the second one is now it's more of an action-based thriller. The first one was more of a horror movie. The 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 follow-ups started to become more political and stuff. And it kind of takes a look into the future of what could be America. And it's kind of looking at the fact that America is so violence-based. And the fact that we are so violence-based that... We will turn a blind eye to what is really going on. Because in the movie, what is going on is people are so obsessed with violence that they are neglecting to see that the government is hiring people to kill people in lower income neighborhoods to lower costs of welfare and other kinds of subsidies like that. That is what is really going on in these movies. And that, and you start to see that in the second one. Interesting. Maybe I'll give them a shot at some point, but uh, the Purge movies are still not high up on my list. <laughs> but I thought that was a, an interesting example of kind of political war. So, why don't we rate this bad boy? All right.
I am going to give the wonderful movie Tales from the Hood four stars. Why four stars? I like this movie a lot. And it has aged well. And the acting is good. I feel that it may not be for a, the broadest of audiences, and it takes a special kind of person to really appreciate this movie, which is why I'm giving it a four, because it is not even a bad thing that I'm giving it for. It's just the fact that I think that people, some people won't get it. Because they've never seen it. They've never experienced anything like this in their lives. They've never... They've turned a blind eye to the things in this movie. But I give it an A for pushing issues that they thought were important. And they were. Yeah. I I agree with that assessment. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Now, Mo, why did you give it a 3.5? So, it's definitely my favorite anthology film, and I appreciated a lot of the ideas that Tales from the Hood toyed with. Uh, especially how, like, over 20 years later, it almost feels more relevant. So I think that was very powerful. I do sort of wish some of the horror elements had been downplayed a little bit. Because I think in some of the skits, particularly the fourth one with Crazy K, I think it kind of detracted. Yeah, that's, that was another thing I was going to say. Like Some of the horror elements kind of got in the way of the real story. Exactly. So I liked the idea of it. I liked that it actually had a lot to unpack and give the film credit going in I thought it was going to be a really goofy horror film that was set in an urban area and what did I know there's a lot to think about and unfortunately a lot of the problems that it was pointing to in 95 are still issues in 2018 but yeah I I feel like uh, a lot of the horror gets in the way of kind of the meat of the story. I think probably the most successful was, like we were talking about, the one with the abusive dad, because it was just very downplayed in that. So that's why I adopted a star. Because I think this could have worked better as more like a drama or like a thriller. And it could I still think it would have functioned perfectly as either an anthology or even just as like a film with a bunch of different characters whose lives intersect somehow or even don't intersect they like all live in the same neighborhood right but overall I'd say this is well worth a watch uh I would this is a movie I would never have been exposed to if you hadn't suggested it Gabe (laughs) it's one that I would like to watch again and uh hoping its cult status continues. Me too. I'm also really excited about the sequel. And I'm truly excited about the sequel and I hope it has success. I'm hoping hoping it is as good as the original. We may have to go see that one in October. We may have to. Alright. Well, that's our show for tonight. 
thanks again for listening. If you haven't already done so, check us out on Twitter at Celluloid Fiends. Head over to the iTunes store and leave us a review. And if there's something you want us to review, let us know and we will give you a shout out on the show. And go ahead and give us a like on Facebook. Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop it.